on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. And so a new era of Sixers basketball. It started yesterday when we were live on the air. Right about 5.30, the trade went down. Daryl Morey swaps Al Horford out. And then at the draft, moved Josh Richardson out, added some shooting, picked up a couple pieces, and here we go. The new era of Sixers basketball is underway. You asked a question in the five last night about the uh, the process. Like last night, didn't it feel like that was so you're so far removed from that era of Sixers basketball now? It just felt refreshing because we have an individual who knows what he's doing. It's like you can see a path. You can see the end of the tunnel because the moves make sense. There's an identity. You know, you believe in the moves being made. So, yes, I don't know if you necessarily believed 100% in every process move. Now, ultimately, it got you two superstars, which is intriguing. But now you look at their identity as a front office and you're 100% behind it. It's amazing. It's refreshing. You know, there's a lot to kind of dissect here. First off, I woke up this morning and was like, wait, somebody took Al Horford's contract off your hands? Like, I just want to make sure we're clear on this. Like, did that actually happen? Yes, Al Horford got traded. He is out. His sister seemed to like it. Oh, yeah. She was getting roasted by the Phillies fans. Philadelphia fans, I should say. Yeah, I mean, she was very active on Twitter. Now, I'm not really all that aware of the background with Al Horford's sister on Twitter. You told me a little bit about it yesterday, and then I just saw her getting, you know, lambasted it last night. Well, I will also say that there's plenty of fake Twitter accounts with her picture and fake names that are tweeting ridiculous stuff, and it's not really her. So a typical fan went out and tried to be funny, and it got a lot of traction. So you might have stumbled upon a fake, but the real person, she was getting roasted, too. All right, well, she was tweeting away last night, and that kind of was like, uh, you know, hey, people didn't like Al because he wouldn't turn his back on Boston, yeah, stuff that like her. that. Well, he gets traded yesterday about five. So that's before the draft. And that was the first move of like, all right, you got a big boy in there running your organization. Like, he found a way to get rid of this contract while getting a player that can help your team and that said player, why not great, nothing special, he gives you something that your team sorely lacks. Well, two things, really. One, his number one uh, skill set is shooting the three. And number two, he's won three NBA championships. So here's a guy who's now the big boy in the room. Hey, I've won three titles, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Like, let me help you guys. Number two, so they get that contract out. The underlining message behind that, too, is you got rid of $80 million of Al Horford in return for an expiring contract. So what that sets up is the ability to make moves down the road because, as Daryl Morey explained last night, we can't make the second trade without the first trade. And what does that mean? Well, because we had Al Horford's contract clogging up the way, we couldn't take on Seth Curry's contract that had three years on it because of that contract. But because we got Al Horford out for a contract of one year, that contract's going to be gone. So we then trade Josh Richardson for Seth Curry, and Curry has three years remaining on the deal 
but at a very manageable number. But they can't add that number on if they don't get the Horford money out of there. So that was a very savvy move. I was not a big Josh Richardson guy. He just was like just out of place on this team. His skill set was just not what this team needed. Also, he has a player option after this season. So you have three years of Seth Curry at $8 million per year, and you could have had Josh Richardson walk after next season with that player option. So that's something to value as well. Plus, Seth Curry's hitting it from 45-plus percent from three. But going back to Al Horford, I also want to touch on Danny Green. But with Al Horford, I know that he was not good here, and I know that the money does not really describe who he is as a player. He's getting overpaid without a doubt. But is it possible that we overvalued or or we overblew the conversation around Al Horford as if other teams around the league still view him as someone who they would easily take that money for because they know he has still something to provide in this league if he's not playing next to Embiid? I mean, you could go through all the scenarios, yeah, sure, and say, well, maybe this team would have taken him or maybe that team would have taken him. You know, there was so much anticipation. Oh, man, the Kings, they would give you Buddy Heald for him. I don't know that that deal like was out there Darryl to be made. Daryl Morey even said it yesterday. Al Horford can play still. People still want Al Horford. The contract is obnoxious, don't get me wrong, but the way the league views him, it's a lot different than how we feel here in Philadelphia to the point where maybe the trade wasn't as ridiculously hard as we would have imagined it being with Al Horford. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, how many teams were willing to take on three years, $80 million for a guy who really... Now, I agree with you. I think Horford can still play. I think he was just miscasted in the role here. But I thought Keith Smith brought something up. How many teams were kind of scared off by the fact that Horford doesn't want to go into a team and be your five? He wants to be what he was last year, this stretch four. I also think it's interesting to to look at it from this way. Al Horford is so respected, right? He's a He's a pro's pro. He's a veteran what happened in Philadelphia? You know, like something had to have happened in Philly for him to be like this. You don't see this out of Al Horford. So what's going on in that locker room? That's how I kind of view it. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, that's a common theme. Is there something in terms of those two? Are they the problem? Well, we'll know when Doc Rivers gets his fingerprints on things. But for, for Al Horford to be such a veteran, I feel it's okay to look at it from all angles. Does that mean something internally is happening with maybe some of the players on the roster? That's a common theme. I, I, I don't shoot that down. My number one thought would be he was a square pig in a round hole. Like, he was stuck on a team where you had Joel Embiid and Al Horford does his best work banging down low in the post and back to the basket and working, you know, inside the paint. And, you know, for the most part, he's a pick-and-roll guy. The Sixers didn't do a lot of pick-and-roll. This is like the conversation we have, you know, uh, with uh, Doug Peterson. Well, if you have a guy who's good in pick-and-roll, why wouldn't you call more pick-and-rolls for him? Well, that's not his offense. That's not what he does really, you know, that's not what he wanted to do. The other personnel on the team wasn't really set up for that. So you had him miscasted as a stretch four just jacking threes up from the corner where his best work in Boston, if you ever watched him, was pick and roll, pick and pop, get the ball at the foul line, hit that little elbow jumper, maybe hit the straight on three. He was good from straight on three, but corner three's not his game. He seemingly was just constantly wrong place, uh, wrong guy in the wrong in the wrong offense here. I'll tell you what, I won't miss that ugly-looking jumper. No, but it was always ugly when it went in against you. That's true. That's absolutely true. And I think one of the things that the Sixers got enamored with when they got Al Horford was they got him away from Boston. It wasn't as much as, what can he do for us? It's, he's not on their team anymore. Because the whole thought process of, 
Now we have the guy who gave our guy problems. You know, Al Horford gave Joel Embiid problems. He defended Giannis Antetokounmpo. He gave him problems. So we're going to go get this guy who gave us problems and gave that guy problems. That was higher weighted than what can he do to help us? You know what I mean? Yeah. And look, I, I liked the move when they made it, and I was wrong. I mean, I, I thought that he would have been a guy that helped out more. I also thought they were going to use him differently. See, I, you know, it's like the Jalen Hurts pick. I like the Jalen Hurts pick because I was excited about what you can do with him. They haven't done what I had hoped they would do with him at all. That's fair. No doubt. That is absolutely fair. Let me throw something at you. So right now, Ben, Tobias, and Joel. Those ben, are your Tobias, three. Joel. Okay. They're going to be your starters. Any variation of these four, let's say Seth Curry, Danny Green, Matisse Thibel, Shake Milton. Enter two of those in the starting rotation. Well, I got Maxi in my lineup. Okay, you're going Maxi right from the jump, starting. Um, now, my, my point is, I'm asking you, yeah. if it is a variation of let's throw Maxi in the mix, any of those three, what type of team do you have? Because the way I view it now. I is, think Maxi's a great fit. Okay, and look, I would not be mad or disappointed if he gets an opportunity with that starting three that I mentioned. Uh -huh. It's a fun team. It's I'll a explain team that, why here in a minute okay. for the people out there like, whoa, yeah. why? Uh, you know, but go ahead. Definitely. It's a team that fits. It makes sense. You have more spacing. It won't be a bad basketball team, but it's also not an elite basketball team, and that's fine. It doesn't take one day to fix all of the issues the Sixers have, so I acknowledge that. I anticipate that they will. there will be a secondary move, but if it's Ben Curry, Milton, or if it's Ben, you mentioned Maxi and, and Seth Curry, Tobias, and Joel. Any variation of that, it'll be a fun season. They'll be competitive. They'll give you a playoff run, but it, it's not an elite team. And I'm okay with that right now, but there needs to be another move to bring you over the edge. Your thoughts? I think there will be another move. I don't think it's going to be Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons, so that's not happening. I don't see that happening, but I do see him getting creative. He kind of hinted at it today. That, you know, hey, we do have free agency coming up, and now they do have a little bit of flexibility to get involved in free agency, where before they did not have the ability to do so. I don't know, you know, what that means. There's a couple guys in free agency. Somebody on my Daily Drive show today. By the way, thanks to all the Daily Drive. I had a ton of questions today. And I was in the car parking lot for like 10 minutes after I got here today with all the people. They were jacked up about this. By the way, does it worry you that the Sixers are like universally getting like they had the best night out of everybody? No, because that's what happens when you have someone in place that statistically does this every year, right? I mean, this is how a good front office feels. We're just not used to it. We're questioning, oh my God, should it feel this way? Yes, Gil. Yes, we should feel this way. So to go to your question here. How do I see this lineup? Okay, I would say, now Ben Simmons is interesting. Curry, see, to me, Curry's a guy off your bench. Definitely, I agree. He's a little small, I think, to play him, and he's not a great defensive player. Maxi, so this is where Maxi's interesting, because Maxi's a good defensive player. I think he's going to be a good defensive player. And he's, a, he's a bulldog defensively. Maxi, to me, now he wasn't my first pick. I'm not like, they got the guy I wanted. No, I wanted Bain because he's a big guy who can shoot. He's 6'6", can shoot, and I thought he fits, um, you know. But getting Curry definitely alleviates some of the, oh, well, you didn't get a shooter at that pick. And you have Curry for three more seasons. So I don't feel like it was a one-year thing and then he's out the door. You have a guy that you have playing that can catch and shoot at a 
historic clip, uh, quite frankly, 44%. He's one of the greatest three-point percentage shooters of all time. He gets so overshadowed by his brother that I don't think people realize that Seth Curry can actually play. And if you watch the Mavericks last year, late in the year, like the final, I don't know, 20, 15 games or so, in the last 25 games for Dallas last year, he shot 53% from the field. He scored 15 points a game and hit three threes a night. That's a guy in 24 minutes. That's a guy who's highly productive shooting the three. So I think you have him coming off your bench. Maxi, I think he works. Maxi to me, is what they thought Fultz would be, but not as good as a shooter as they thought Fultz would be. In other words, when they got Fultz, they took him number one because they thought they were getting a guy who could shoot the three, a guy who can score and create, and a guy who can pull up from anywhere on the floor, mid-range, three-point shot, yada, yada, and handle the ball so that Ben didn't have to do all the ball handling, play off the ball. I think that's what Maxie is. He's a combo guard who can run the point, he can handle the ball, but he's a shot creator. And this team hasn't had a shot creator really since Butler was here for that handful of games. Before Butler was here, who's a guy that his first number one skill set is putting the ball on the floor and scoring around the rim with both hands? You don't have Don't it. have one. You never don't. have. Nope. And, and this is one thing. I know that 29% from three is something that stands out to a lot. I do feel that he's a better three-point shooter than that. And uh, they even broke down yesterday on the broadcast how when he was facing top opponents that his three-point shooting was actually better. So they're anticipating that he would grow yeah, in that area. His numbers went up against top 25 teams, but you know, that's half a dozen one of Yeah, that's true. His free throw percentage is 83. Now, a lot of people look at a struggling shooter and say, well, what's his free throw percentage? Maybe you can tie that into grooming him into a better because he has a good stroke. Right, right. and he I does. I heard a lot of people mention that he's a good three-throw. Uh, and by the way, his three-point shooting percentage is not very good. But what, like, Luka Doncic is not a good three-point shooter, but he's willing to take it in the big moment. That's what this Maxi kid is. He's the guy who the moment's not too big for him. Like, um, can he be the closer from day one? I don't think so. But I think he can evolve into the game is late, Ben doesn't shoot. Joel's getting doubled. I got this. I'll take the ball to the basket, get fouled, and I'll do it. Like, I don't think he's afraid of the moment. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I would agree with you. And Josh I think Richardson would not put the ball on the floor. <laughs> he wasn't that kind of guy. Right. Maxi, while, yes, I would love to see a guy who came in here banging 40% of his threes. Just, they didn't get that guy. What they got, though, was... A guy who will break you down off the dribble, go to the basket, take him, get himself out, try to get to the line, and have energy, defense. He's a competitor to, I don't know that you'll find a more competitive guy in the draft. And as you mentioned, you don't need that 40% shooter in the draft. If you go out and get a Seth Curry, you essentially found that in another way. So then, look, people looked at him as a top 10 pick that fell to you at 21. He has that type of attitude. I think you're going to see his best work when it comes to attacking the rim, what he can do close to the rim. He's definitely phenomenal there. He can dribble. He can attack. It's going to be fun to watch. I kind of tied this together, though, with, you know how everyone looks at some of these draft picks by the Eagles and they go outside of the SEC or they go to the they go to the Pac-12 and it's like, why? Why are you overlooking an LSU receiver or an Ohio State receiver or an Alabama player? Go to those 
respected franchises in college football. I felt they did that here. And when you look at the guard play coming out of Kentucky, you got Devin Booker, De'Aaron Fox, Murray, Hero, SGA. You got all these players who can play. I think that that's a great track record. You went to an organization in college basketball that breeds athletes at the guard position. You didn't overthink things. You didn't reach into some of these crazier conferences. You went to Kentucky. They breed these type of players, and I really do love that. I think he's going to be a hell of a weapon. Yeah, I, I, I go back to Maxie is the guy they hoped Fultz would be. He is... The guy who can handle the ball, take the pressure off Ben, compliment Ben. The only thing you would like to see him better at is shooting the three. And Paul Hudrick wrote this at 973ESPN.com, and he'll join us today at uh, 340, and I think he's right on. If Maxi improves that shot, if he is a 35 to 38% three-point shooter, teams are going to regret not taking him because he can score. Now, and he's a defensive player. He's not just a one-dimensional, one-side-of-the-floor player. He wants to play defense. You know how many times he talked about defense last night on his Zoom call? I mean, and he talked about, he was asked about who he, who he you know, grew up watching. It's funny when you hear, who you grew up watching? Well, C.J. McCollum. Right, right. You know, uh, <laughs> Drew Holiday. They're so young now that they're saying yeah, different exactly. sorts of players. But he mentioned Drew Holiday, and he goes, I'm defensive-minded. I get that from watching Drew Holiday. Like, this is a guy who thinks defense first and it can score. Is he the guy who catches and shoots the three? No. But I think them getting Curry and them getting Green, you know, Ben Simmons has that stat where he's the best assist man on assisting on made threes. He's got the worst three-point shooting around him in his time here. I don't know how that's even possible. Yeah, he had J.J. Redick. But how many times did you see him kick out, get somebody an open look, and clank? Clank, clank. If there's anything that Ben does, you might think he doesn't shoot. You might think he doesn't do this. You might think he's just a guy. There's one thing that he excels at. He's a tremendous passer with tremendous vision who sets guys up to put them in the best position to score or get open looks. He's going to have two guys that if they get open looks, they're probably going to hit about 40 to 44% of those threes. That wasn't happening before. So if he goes from 10 or 8 assists to 13, 14 assists a night all of a sudden. That's a way different story for Ben Simmons and what he brings to the table. I wonder if you're Danny Green, right? And, and I want to bring this part up. You talked about the championships. Not only is he just a, a champion three times, but I do think it's valuable that he did it in three different circumstances. You're with the San Antonio Spurs, and you win with Greg Popovich and that type of team with those type of players on the court. You win with the Toronto Raptors and Kawhi Leonard with Nick Nurse. You win with the Lakers and LeBron. You get so much different knowledge when you do it in different avenues instead of hey I was on the Warriors for three straight seasons and we just dominated you know what I mean like you're you're gaining this information from three different circumstances in the NBA and I do think that he can share that knowledge with these younger players but I do wonder when he's sitting out there and he's on the court and here comes Ben Simmons he just played with LeBron how much will he see how LeBron facilitates in Ben Simmons. You know, like you're an NBA player. You just played with LeBron James at the point guard position who did a phenomenal job facilitating. When you see Ben Simmons do all these creative things, is he sitting there waiting in the corner thinking, damn, this is just a younger version of, of LeBron James, but you have in Ben Simmons from a facilitating standpoint. Well, he's, he's going to get wide open looks. Oh, I, I, I think the looks are going to be there. No question about it. You got to make the shots. When, when, if Curry comes here and does what everybody else has done, hey, I'm 44% here, but when I get to this team, I'm only 37%. 
you know, that's a big problem. I mean, these guys, they're going to get looks. You're going to have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid double kicking out. Now, Joel's got to get better at kicking out. He's got to get better at reading the double team. Maybe he never trusted that those guys are going to make three. It's also harder to double team when Seth Curry at 45% is the one hanging out by the three-point line, too. No question. There's no question about it. Is Does that open things up more for him? Does that open? And look, if Ben's going to dribble drive and, of course, he wants to kick it back out, those guys are going to catch with open looks. They got to make those open looks. They got to make them. Uh, but also think about this: you swing it, right? So say you go to Seth Curry, he's covered. He swings it. It's Danny Green. Your your options can actually make the threes. You're not swinging it to the congested lineup that you had last season. You keep swinging the ball around. You're going to find someone who is actually capable of hitting a three pointer. Huge difference. Yeah, I I you know the pick. It wasn't my first pick. I'm not going to sit here and say Maxi was my guy. He was the guy I wanted. I was, but my mindset was they're not going to get other shooters before the draft or during the draft. They got Curry Green. I didn't love, and I don't still love Green. I think he's a aging shooter. I don't think that he is. I mean, he's his his best basketball is behind him. There's no question about it. His their his best basketball is behind him, and I don't know how much he. When you talked about the lineup, to go back to your question, do I want him to be playing major minutes in my starting lineup anymore? I mean, he played 25 minutes a game last year for the Lakers. He shot 36%. I mean, that number, 36% from three for him, that is way down. I mean, he was 45% with Toronto the year before, and even when he got to the playoffs, I remember against the Sixers, he was not having a great year. He's a 40% three-point shooter, but... He has shot, hasn't shot 40% other than the Toronto year going all the way back to 2014. So he has not been that 40% shooter that he was consistently. But he can, you know, look, he'll make open threes. It's something that you didn't have before. He's a better shooter than Josh Richardson. There's no question about it. Now, the other interesting part about this is the fact that because you got the Horford money out of there and the Richardson money out there, you can now be a somewhat player in free agency here. So I'm interested in, because I really haven't taken a good look at the NBA free agent list because of the fact that they, I didn't really think that they were going to be a, a player in that at all. But I'm interested to see now it's what weak. players. It's it is, oh, well, I knew it was weak because Anthony Davis is like the best. But I'm not, you know, you're not even looking at that level That's of player. True. I'm looking at what, because they couldn't bring in anybody. But what? who's that secondary player? that maybe they can get on a mid-level exception deal. I'm thinking, would it be worth forcing something in a weak free agency class if you just wait for next year's free agency class? Or, you know, like, I, I don't know if you... I know for a fact you can't fix all of the Sixers' issues in one offseason. So this would be similar to, hey, are we going to make a move just to make a move even though this free agency class is weaker if we can wait to maybe make a move next season to acquire that third piece that would really help out Ben and Joel? Do we wait until then? I don't know if that's in Daryl Morey's repertoire, if you will, because he seems to be a go-gadget guy right now. Well, what do they need? I mean, I think they need a backup to Joel Embiid. Did they find that in Paul Reed? Maybe. I mean, to, to, to go into the season saying the number 58 pick, and by the way, Paul Reed's going to join us today at 3 o'clock, but to go in and say the number 58 pick in the draft is going to come in and we're going to hope to get major minutes. or right. you know, Now, you have Pell. Do they like Pell enough to say, we don't need another guy? He's the guy. I don't know. I think you probably need a veteran 
banger down yeah, there. Yeah, if you're talking about those type of guys, backup center, yes, you can hit on those in free agency for sure. I was talking more along the lines of, you know, if you're looking for that piece to play next to Ben and Joel, don't just force that in a free agency class that's weaker. Find the best way to attack that spot. But you're talking about a mid-level exception that's a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, like, I wouldn't be... I, I, here's the problem. Like, I think Nerland's Noel is available. I love Nerlens. I was a big Nerlens fan because I love what he brings defensively. He doesn't have any offense, but he's a put-back guy, a dunk guy, but he could come in and you know he can block shots, alter shots, do be that guy. You know, would he be a guy? The problem with Noel, the first time he was here, is they had to get rid of him because he was a jerk. Did he mature? I mean, has he become a more mature player in the time that he's been gone here? I don't know. I mean, the Sixers probably do their homework on that. But one of the problems why they had to get rid of him was he was a jerk. Yeah, you would imagine he grew up, though, in this league a bit. I mean, I don't follow his career to that extent to really know how he is from a personal level on his current team. But, you know, I would imagine just growing up and being a part of the league and understanding how these professionals act that he's not the same way he was when he first entered the league at, what, 18, 19 years old? Yeah, he was uh, he was nightmarish. Yeah. So hard to imagine he's still hanging around with that type of attitude at this age, but I guess it's possible. Probably. Um, I'm, look, they would do their homework. Now, you had Alec Burks. Would he, would he be a guy that, I don't know, he probably wants more money than that, but would he now change his opinion and say, you know what, you got uh, Curry. I mean, would he be a guy that would be uh, intriguing to bring back? Sure. I was going to actually bring him up to you on uh, Alec Burks. I just you know, don't what know would his how much role money. be? Right. What would his role be? He'd just be that microwave scorer off the bench? Can Doc Rivers utilize him like a Lou Will, an off-the-bench microwave scorer type? I mean, he had that in L.A. Is that something you can maybe go down? Because that's what his role would be, right? I mean, he'd be a guy who you would just get a lot of possessions to. He'd shoot the rock. I don't know. I'm just thinking about how you fill out this roster feel, best. I feel like um, I'm forgetting, like, Shake Milton, he's a guy that we're not really bringing up either. I mean, he would be a guy that I just maybe... feel like he's still so raw. Unfortunately, he got thrown into the fire last year because he had to, but I don't know if he's ready at that point yet to start saying, like, hey, Shake Milton has this role coming off the bench. Well, that's why uh, Mark Jackson will join us on the other side. Who does he think plays next to Ben and Joel and Tobias now. Who would he put in those spots? Brought to you by Recovery Centers of America Drug and Alcohol Addiction Treatment Centers located in Mays Landing, New Jersey and Devon, PA. We'll talk with Mark Jackson Jackson from Sixers Pre and Post Game Live. He's a guy that knows Maxie really well. You'll hear what he thinks about Maxie coming up on the other side. How did Daryl Morey and the Sixers do last night? Find out next. Turn it off. All right, Mark Jackson, NBC Sports Philadelphia pre- and post-game live. It was a busy night last night. It all started before the draft when the Sixers were able to move Al Horford, and then during the draft, they moved Josh Richardson, and everywhere in between, they added pieces. Tyrese Maxey, a lot of people liked the pick. Some people were, eh, not a great shooter. Other shooters were available. I like the fit. I mean, in terms of, yeah, he's not the greatest shooter. Does he have the ability to get there? We'll talk to Mark Jackson about how he can come in and help this team, if he can come in and help this team right away. You get a guy at 21, do you think he comes in and plays right away? So there's a lot to dive into here, and we'll bring Mark Jackson in to do it as he joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. And, Mark, let's start with uh, what Daryl Morey did to start the day off 
before the draft even started, you guys were busy because Al Horford and his $80 million left on that deal on the move for Danny Green and Terrence Ferguson. What did you think of that move by Daryl Morey? Hey, we started the day off right. You know, they, they, the, the, the pieces didn't fit. We tried to go big. Him and Joel didn't mess too well together. We needed a change. So they actually, to my opinion, they paid OKC to take him from us. So with that being said, I thought they got better um, by unloading their contract as well as getting a shooter to match his ball club. So, obviously, it didn't work out with Al Horford. Uh, they get Danny Green back and Ferguson, uh, and, and really it gives them a lot of flexibility. So, uh, in the end, I mean, do you even care about the return? Or was it more of getting rid of Horford? I think it's a good combination of both. We got a shooter in Danny Green, um, who's a champion, mind you say, who's a champion, two-year straight champion, um, as well as four in his career, including North Carolina. Um, I think for us, we got something back. We got the floor spacing. And let's not forget the young guy, Terrence Ferguson, who's only 22 years old, who's a, a, another wing perimeter with a high ceiling. Do you think that it was as hard as maybe we thought it would to get rid of Al Horford's contract? Like, around the league, he's obviously a good player that just failed because of fit. So when it comes to moving on that contract, even though it is hefty, is it possible that maybe it wasn't as hard of a move as maybe we anticipated heading into the trade? No, it was hard. It was hard. And why was it hard? It was hard because at his age and his ability to perform, his current skill and what he can give a ball club not don't necessarily match his contract. And I think it was going to be hard to move it. So to me, I feel as though for us to not just move it, but to get something that can help the club helps everyone at all. So before we get to the actual draft picks, let's get your thoughts on moving Josh Richardson. Because I know last year, Mark, we've had you on, and you talked about when he was hurt that people didn't realize what he brought to this team. A, a wing defender, he did a little ball handling, wasn't the greatest shooter, maybe not the best shot creator, but what are they losing um, with Richardson, and do you like the move to swap Richardson out and what he brought to bring Curry in? Yes, love the move. Richardson gives us a, a creator, uh, somebody that can create his own shot, as well as a perimeter defender. Um, he gives us that in a nutshell. But what we bring back with Seth Curry, we bring back another shooter, as well as somebody who can create his own shot. He's, he's a little different from his brother. Yes, he's a three-point shooter, but he can't create a mid-range shot, and he has a little toughness to him. So we, we got that in return. Also, we was thinking, once again, with the haul we got back for Horford, I think they was going to get a lot of Josh Richardson a kind of ability as, well, as far as defensively from the young kid, young kid Terrence Ferguson. And I think that's why they didn't feel as though they gave up too much letting Richardson go. Right. So I, that was one something I brought up yesterday was you bring in Ferguson, I thought it made Richardson expandable on draft night, and they ended up doing that because Ferguson is your wing defender now that you valued Richardson for. Absolutely. Agreed 100%.
How do you think that adding these shooters impacts Ben Simmons? Because last year, he was unbelievable at these assists from three-pointers, and they could barely even shoot the three like they have now with Danny Green and Steph Curry. And Seth Curry. So opening up this floor, <laughs> how much can this really even help Ben Simmons to uh, an elite degree? This helps Ben Simmons unbelievably. And I think the pieces fit in the offense. You know, you don't necessarily have you can't say, well, you got Danny Green. No, 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 no. You got Danny Green and Seth Curry. And you move Tobias, which I think is his most productive position, the four power forward spot. I think it just opens the floor up for this team. It makes this team faster. It makes, it makes this team um, um, able to score a little bit easier. And it don't, it don't only hurt or help Ben Simmons. It helps Joel and B. Mark Jackson, uh, those were the trades last night. So Al Horford out, Josh Richardson out, Danny Green, Terrence Ferguson, Seth Curry in. Let's go to the draft picks. Uh, Tyrese Maxey on the board at 21. Some people were surprised. He's a guy, 14 points a game, 29% from three. So, of course, in today's day and age, Mark, everyone goes right to that three-point number and says, oh, man, they didn't get a shooter. So, what do you think of Maxi and the fit on this roster? I believe a big reason why Maxi slipped a little bit is because they didn't know what position he was. Is he a point guard? Is he a scoring guard? Um, and I think that that, that conversation kind of hurt him a little bit because it would be different if he was six seven. He's only six three, um, and I think that's why if you're a combo guard. And you're six 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 seven. They're gonna pick you high because the league is going position. But if you're only six three and you're not really a point guard, I think now the league looks at that with a kind of a side eye of saying, "Well, how does he fit?" Well, when you got Ben Simmons, you need a combo guard to play beside him, aka Shake Milton. So I think it's gonna be they give the team options with combo guards and Shake and and and, and Maxi. To play with Simmons. Right. I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but Maxi almost feels like they hope he was what they anticipated Fultz being. Maybe not as, you know, Fultz they hoped had been a better three point shooter than he evidently was, but that he's the guy who can handle the ball, create a shot, not afraid to take the big shot either. Exactly. You hit the nail right on the head. They, this is the kind of player they, they drafted Markel folks to be. And people say, what is the perfect fit for this team? I always said a University of Washington Markel folks. You know, he was the perfect fit for the Ben Simmons, that team, when he was at Washington. Right. And when he got drafted and got hurt, and we don't know how that had happened, that changed the whole dynamic. That's what this team needed. That's what Maxie is. And I think with the floor spacing with Seth and Danny Green, I really think this team has really taken a transition upward instead of uh, sideways. Now, Maxi is a young kid. Do you see him coming right into the league and playing a starter off the bench, contributing right away? How do you see him as a rookie? I think he will come off the bench. I think uh, I, I truly believe with Shake Milton. I really believe with Seth Curry. I really believe that if I'm looking at the lineup now, I'm going with Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Danny Green or Shake Milton. Um, I think that's the lineup. 
Um, I think Maxie will come off the bench um, and go from there. Do you anticipate any more moves from Daryl Morey that might impact where the starting rotation is? You know, it's a great question. I look at what we have left as a ball club. Do we have do we have enough to make a big splash? Do we have enough to give up for something for James Harden as the rumors are going around? Or Zach Levine? I don't I don't and I'm just going on speculation. Right. For me, I, I truly don't believe that this team has enough assets remaining to get a James Harden unless you give up Ben or Joel and I can't see that happening. So I think the only thing this team can do is try to hit the free art free agency hit. Um but what's out there that could fit and create a big splash to help the ball club more? I'm still looking at that. A lot of people would wonder, all right, so they cleared out the cap space, but are they a better team today? You know, are they on the level of Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, or are they still stuck in the five, four, five, six range? So I think a lot of things happened yesterday. I think Milwaukee. Um, getting reneged on on Bodan Bogdanovich, I think that kind of keeps them in the top three, top four. But I don't think just with Drew, I don't think that catapults Milwaukee as the best team in the East. Now, if they could, if they had kept Bogdan and Drew, to me they was a clear favorite to win the East, even if the Nets got Harden. Um, I I, re- I truly believe that. Now with Bogdan not being there, I think it kind of keeps the landscape kind of even, and that top four teams, meaning Toronto I think is going to take a hit because I have a feeling they're going to lose um, the free agent guard. I think they're going to lose Serge Ibaka. Um, I think they're going to take a hit. So if I'm looking at this ball club, this team now, I'm looking at Boston, Milwaukee, the Nets, and the Sixers as those top four teams. Um, real quick, Mark Jackson's with us here. You know, uh, Maxie uh, got the one season at Kentucky, and obviously people get excited about the first-round pick. But uh, you had Isaiah Joe, a three-pointer, and uh, Paul Reed, another energy guy who, man, his numbers, and if you watch his film, holy moly, 142 block shots. Uh, either one of those guys do you think helps out? Or are they too raw and too young to be able to contribute? I think, I believe that, Eventually, in uh, sorry, I believe eventually in the, in the next couple of years, both of those guys can contribute. But as of now, I don't think they're going to give this team. Um, I don't think they're going to take minutes away from Matisse and Shake, and I just don't think that's going to happen. All right, uh, we will see where this team goes now with uh, free agency about uh, a half an hour from now. No, about thirty, about the what four or five days? What's it? 24 hours? Well, free agents are like three days from now, something like that. It's crazy. And then we have camp opening in two weeks and then the season in about a month from now. So it's all going to start happening pretty quick. It was a good night for the 76ers. Mark Jackson breaks it, up, breaks it all down for us here on the Sports Bash. Mark, always a pleasure, pal. Take care. Always. Looking forward to talking to you. All right. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family as well. You too. All right. Mark Jackson, too, like all guests, appeared via the boardwalk. Honda hotline. So there you go. A little insight on uh, Tyrese Maxey there. He kind of agreed that, you know, he was, he fits the mold of what they had hoped Markel Fultz would be for them. I wonder if they were shocked that he fell that far. I think so. You know, it's funny you say that because if you looked at, um, like on Twitter, like what's happening, 
Sixers guard Tyrese Maxey, steal of the draft. Like, that's been, like, the thing is everyone, like, why was this guy still here? And he mentioned he thinks he fell a little bit because of his size. And think about this. No NCAA tournament. If he took Kentucky on a nice little run, won maybe four games, I mean, it happened with Carson Edwards last year out of Purdue. This guy was so exciting. People fell in love with him. Well, a Kentucky guard, his stock would probably be where it we thought it would be if he went on a run in March Madness. Maybe the Sixers benefited from no tournament. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe the fact that people didn't get to see him on the big stage, you know, to get him that... The one thing with him, too, was that he kind of has going for him in terms of that was his numbers were better against better competition. So whenever he kind of had those bigger games, he went from 14 points a game to 19 points a game. I think he's a guy that is definitely a scorer. He's not a pure shooter by any stretch of the imagination. So that's something he's definitely going to need to work on is hitting that three ball. And, um, you know, that's his problem that this team had for a while is finding guys who can hit Open threes. They got Curry. He can do it. Green, you're hoping. I still think uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with um, with uh, Korkmaz. I think he's a goner. Yeah? I hope he's a goner. I don't know if he is going to be or not. But I wonder if Matisse Thibel takes that next step. You know, if he becomes an average three-point shooter and gives you that more consistently. He went on runs where he knocked a lot down, and then he went on some cold streaks. If he can be more consistent. So Daryl Morey just posted on Twitter. I saw that. Highlights of Mike Muscala hitting the game-winning shot. Unbelievable. I mean, that's a great troll job this guy, right there. This guy fits, no? That's a great troll. You know, and Maury to me, what I love about Maury is he wears the blazer as like, well, I'm an executive. I guess I got to wear a blazer. But underneath, he's got a T-shirt. Yeah. He's rocking jeans. Like, he has no desire to be dressed up. Where do you think he got that T-shirt? Probably on the corner of Citizens yeah. Bank Park. He's definitely that guy. All right, Sports Bash coming up. Jersey's number one sports radio talk show, The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, so did we do a five yesterday? It was casual. Very? Yeah, because there were no games other than some action. Well, I, we I, had the draft I, That's time. right. I, I asked you simple questions if, if he would get trade, if they would make any more trades, and they did. I said outside of moving a second-round pick to get up in the draft. Uh, but it was more just casual conversation. Edwards went first in the draft. You did select that. Yeah, Edwards, Weissman. Any, anything crazy for you in the draft? I thought the... Uh, how about the production side? Now, they kept going into the sad stories, which seems to be a common theme. They did that with the NFL draft. It's almost like, hey, what's the saddest thing that ever happened to you on your greatest day possible? Can you please tell us that? I thought it was better produced than the NFL draft. Like, the NFL draft, with, and I didn't think it was bad. It just, I like the fact that Silver was there, not in his basement. Yeah. Different times, though, right? I mean, Well, they figured it out, like, from the first time. Like, hey, yeah. we can have people here. Back then... You weren't sure. Now, okay, we could do it in the studio here. They had the full team. And, um, no, I thought it was a good job. I mean, having the um, players in their houses and being able to interview them back and forth, like that's something that is now a lot more common. So I thought they did a pretty good job last night. For the I thought it was long, though. Man, I know, like, the NFL drafts a couple of days, but, man, the, the, the draft last night, it was over after midnight. I got an email from the Sixers at 
friggin' 12.26 in the morning that uh, Daryl Morey was set to speak. I'm like, I'm not waiting for him. I'll watch it in the morning. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. It definitely ended late. By the way, I found the, the actual five questions. Edwards went first. I asked, who would the Sixers pick at 21? You said Bain. Reasonable guess. Definitely he was on hard. the board. He was on the board. Him and Terry were on the board. Uh, Harden did not get traded. No, correct. I thought that Terry and Bain were still on the board that they may have traded back to go get one of those guys. I was thinking the same exact thing. By the way, what do you think of Malika Andrews? She did a hell of a job. That was a hot topic on Twitter last night. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, uh, you were out on the game. Out, you were out on the uh, the Twitter game last night. Apparently, yeah. I was not like. Uh... Trying to, you know, why I was out on the Twitter game? Why is that? Is because I'm on YouTube TV, so I'm a little bit behind anyway. And whoa, just killing me. Oh, I think th- I'm so glad you brought that up. What they're all tweeting five minutes before the pick on who's going to get selected? Yeah, I mean, I was like, uh, am I like behind here? Even if you aren't delayed and you're watching on normal TV, because I'm the same way. I have the Xfinity app, so it's maybe a minute behind or so. Even if you have standard cable, well, how do you watch an Eagles game? What do you mean? You, do you watch an Eagles game with Twitter open and like you're a minute behind? It's, it's like a it's one play. So I normally just keep my phone off to the side. I'll just check on commercials. Okay. Or whatever. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's half a play and whatever. But, um, yeah, I can't stand it. He's like, oh, and, and he doesn't do it where like they're selecting. He's like, they're not going to pass on this guy, hearing that uh, they're all like, I'm just like, oh, wait a second. Am I that far behind? Well, yeah, Shams and Woj are, are tweeting five minutes in advance what's going to happen with the next pick. I think that's a, a little ridiculous. Well, that's on the whole thing point. with the NFL. Like, they don't want people doing the picks, and then like the, the people had said that they would do it, but like, I don't know. Do you think that they're just doing their journalistic duties? Yeah. They got information. What are they supposed to do? Hold on to it? Hold on until the draft actually happens? Well, the thing is, somebody said, well, if that's on Twitter, why doesn't the team behind them see that? Because the pick is already in. The call has already been made. Right. You know, they can't switch, you know. (laughs) Hold on a second. Can we get that back? Oh, I just saw on Twitter that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. (laughs) uh, We have a poll question of at 973 ESPN. What do you think of the Sixers draft and night? The trades and everything. Thumbs up, thumbs down, or eh. We'll update that poll question. Sixers draft pick Paul Reed is going to join us on the other side.